Former Michigan Republican Party Chair Saul Anousis is here talking about the deep divide in his party. Our lead stories, COVID restraints, gone July 1st, and peace between the governor and the two Republican leaders. Yeah, it's true. On the OTR panel, Jonathan Osteen, Lauren Gibbons, and Chuck Stokes. Sit in with us as we get the inside out, off the record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Thank you very much. Welcome back to our Zoom edition of Off the Record. We hope the days are numbered on that, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. But the governor's been making news, and we'll be talking about that with our great panel. We have Jonathan Osting and Lauren Gibbons and Chuck Stokes. And here's what the governor had to say. Circle two dates on your calendar, June 1 and July 1. Here's the old look for Governor Gretchen Whitmer with mask firmly in place. And now, the new look. No mask. I'm going mask-free because I know it's safe for my family and for me and those around me. Against the backdrop of this giant ballpark billboard, the governor declares for the first time... For the most part, life will be back to normal. The return to normal begins June 1st. Indoor bar and restaurant capacity will be kicked up to 50%. June 1st, all outdoor venues, including concerts, have no capacity limits. Indoor performances are still limited to 50%. June 1st, indoor receptions such as weddings and the like go to 50% for the first time. And the next date to circle on your calendar, July 1st. On July 1st, the broad mask rule will be lifted. But I want to be clear about the fact that businesses and workplaces are well within their rights to require masks as patrons go in. But the business restrictions aside, the governor rejoices that we'll finally be able to do all this stuff. We will be able to sing at church, dance at weddings, cheer at games, hug each other, and laugh together. I know that that is welcome news to so many. However, despite the accelerated lifting of these COVID restrictions, the germ is still alive and well in Michigan. And the governor does concede that all of this will stay in place. Unless, of course, unanticipated circumstances arise. We do not expect that to happen. We look at this as the last moment of these, these types of orders. However, for those of you hoping to be like Ohio, where the governor there is selling lottery tickets to coax citizens to get the vaccine, the governor declares it won't happen in Michigan because it's illegal. But she is looking for other incentives to get you to roll up your sleeve and get that shot. All right, so Lauren, what's the reaction in our town to what the governor done did? If you pardon my bad French. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think uh, especially among the business community, there was a lot of rejoicing. Um, and actually, legislative Republicans uh, were pretty pleased with it as well. Uh, they announced yesterday afternoon that they saw this as a good faith gesture by the governor and are planning to include her in budget negotiations now, not just because of the, uh, the metrics, but that was part of it. Um, I think that um, perhaps uh, some public health experts may be concerned if there's no um, there's no longer a metric system. Previously, uh, the restrictions would have been lifted uh, once uh, Michigan hit a certain number of first dose vaccinations among the adult population. That is no longer the case. So perhaps there's some heartburn there, but especially from 
uh, members of the business community, uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of happiness here that some of these restrictions are going to be lifted. Jonathan, if we gave a large dose of truth serum to people in the public health community, how would they be reacting to all this? <laughs> well, one of my colleagues did talk to several epidemiologists and local health department directors yesterday, and you know, for the most part, I think they are actually on the same page with the governor in a lot of respects. Um, whether or not uh, it would make sense to still have stricter regulations, people aren't necessarily following those anymore. And um, there is a strong desire, as, as the governor mentioned, to get back to life as normal. Now, um, certainly uh, folks that we talked to at Bridge Michigan uh, said they might have eased things up a little slower than this, and they are concerned still about the potential uh, for more cases. But with the summer coming up, uh, the, the weather getting warmer, people outdoors more, uh, and cases really precipitously declining. Um, you know, Michigan is no longer number one in the nation, uh, not by a bit. So um, all signs are pretty positive right now. And there is a, a realistic belief that uh, we're near some sort of end to this pandemic. Chuck, do you think the average citizen is ready to go to a 1,000 person wedding reception to get schnockered up? Uh, I think it just depends on who you talk to and probably a little bit about what their politics may be. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of people who are cautious. You know, we got so used to wearing these masks. Um, you feel almost a little unusual not having your mask. You know, I jumped out of the car the other day and was about to walk into a building and I saw someone <laughs> coming with their mask and I was like, oh my goodness, let me run back and get my mask. Um, and, and I've almost gotten to the point where I feel more comfortable with the mask. I think people are going to have to make their own personal decisions and I think it's going to rise to whatever their comfort level is. And I think you will find some people that are like, hey, I'm vaccinated. Um, they tell me it's safe, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. I think there are going to be a lot of other people that are going to want to make sure that it's a group that, one, you trust that the people in that group probably have had their vaccination before they go into it. And then I think they're going to look at the size of the group. Um, I, I think people will still be a little hesitant about really large groups, but smaller groups, uh, I think people are ready to bust out and, and, and start enjoying their summer and just hope that we don't get that major tick uh, about September, early October. Yeah, one of the sidebar stories, Lauren, in this story that really didn't get a lot of coverage is the governor very quietly abandoned all this stuff about reaching 70% herd immunity. She said yesterday, I sort of hope we want to get there, but her whole previous program was predicated on that. Now that's out the window. Right, that's that's extremely true. And to some extent, uh, the administration's hand was forced by the CDC um, when the CDC is saying, you know, for vaccinated people, masks aren't required. That kind of uh, threw a wrench in a lot of the administration's response to this. And um, obviously, we're seeing other states uh, that were not tying metrics to the first dose vaccination. So uh, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a response to, you know, what what's happening elsewhere. Um, and, and I think what Jonathan said earlier um, in the sense of you know, in, in some ways incentivizing people who may otherwise not be listening to some of some of the public health recommendations, um, even if it's moving a little faster, um, the, it, it really remains to be seen, you know, how, how this impacts uh, the rate of vaccinations in Michigan. We've seen that 
um, start to dip down a little bit. Uh, it, there's uh, a lot of experts have said, you know, there's going to be a natural slowing as we get through all of the people who really wanted to be vaccinated. Um, and I think uh, there's there's a lot of work to be done still in convincing that vaccine hesitant population here in Michigan. Jonathan, your chances of running into somebody at one of these wedding receptions who's not vaccinated is about 50-50 because we're not there yet. Is that, I mean, is that in the back of people's mind or are we now so euphoric that we're not going to worry about that? Well, I'm sure it's in the back of some people's minds, uh, but the people that are more worried about it are probably the people that are vaccinated. <laughs> so uh, they, you know, will have a little uh, more safety going into those situations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, people who weren't taking the pandemic seriously uh, probably still aren't going to take the pandemic seriously and nothing is going to change. Um, but uh, as, as Chuck mentioned, you know, a lot of folks are going to continue to make personal choices to take extra precautions. So, um, you know, maybe some people still wear masks at a wedding, even if it's not required because they're vaccinated, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of what Senator Majority Leader Mike Shirky has asked for all along. We're moving to an era of personal responsibility where uh, folks are going to be able to make those choices on their own. Uh, Chuck, before I come in, if, if somebody was offended by the term schnockered up, I apologize for that. That's a good Macomb County term, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but let me, let me ask you about this. Uh, we had the announcement yesterday that the Republican leaders and the governor have an agreement and that we have peace at hand. When you heard that, one, did you believe it? And two, how long will it last? <laughs> well, those are the million-dollar questions. Uh, who knows how long it will last? But I think what we're starting to see is the rubber meeting the road here. Um, you know, I think I said on this program a couple weeks ago, this governor can be very pragmatic. She's a creature of the legislature. Um, she, you know, she's been in one position or another since 2000. So she understands how Lansing works. She's coming up on a budget and she wants to get that budget passed and be able to do it on time. She's getting pressure from superintendents all across uh, this state that they want to get their budgets done on time so that they can do the school year in the proper fashion fiscally. Um, and she's got an election not too far down the line. Um, you know, even look at the, the details on her website. Uh, you know, one of the key things that she mentioned was that she signed two bills into legislation this week. Uh, both of them were sponsored by Republican senators, uh, McBroom and also uh, Zorn. Um, so she's starting to do those things that look very bipartisan. Um, and on the other side of the fence, you've got Shirky and you've got the Speaker of the House. Also, you know, each of them giving their own spin to all of this, but all of them can go back and claim a little bit of victory and say, I got what I want, I got what I want. And now the people will have to sort out, you know, you know, where the actual truth is in there. And this is still just a broad, um, it looks like a broad agreement. The devil is going to be in the detail and how long it will last. But I think all of them are starting to become a little more pragmatic as we get closer to that big year next year. All right, so Lauren, what did everybody get? What did the governor get and what did the R's get? So the governor got uh, the chance to be back in budget negotiations, <laughs> essentially. Up to this point, uh, the Republican-led legislature had been you know, crafting budget plans, working on uh, supplemental federal funding for, coming from the government for COVID-19 response and aid 
Um, and so now she's back at the table, apparently. And the Republicans, uh, there was kind of a three-prong, um, three things that they said really um, swung them in the right direction, which was uh, the, the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions, which we've talked about, um, the, the, the ending of uh, permanent myosha rules. Uh, her administration was looking at um, making permanent some COVID-19 workplace rules. And uh, there's also, um, it, there was also from the Republicans an agreement to uh, have the legislature be involved in future pandemic orders. So those three things uh, really seemed to, to give Republicans, uh, to give Republicans a little bit more confidence uh, that they might get something out of governor. Uh, Jonathan, given the acrimony between these three over the past year, um, is this a is this a shaky peace agreement? Do you think, or is it on solid ground? Well, obviously, as Chuck mentioned, the devil's going to be in the details. They've negotiated budgets before and had a lot of animosity in that process. So this just allows you know those negotiations to start again. But look, nobody really gave up a ton in this deal. I don't think it was a heavy lift, right? For for. Um, you know, the Whitmer administration was already talking about uh, revising the workplace rules and likely withdrawing it. I know there were internal conversations about doing just that. She didn't agree to let Republicans write future pandemic orders, but she agreed to discuss what that might look like in the future. But of course, from her perspective, she's hoping there's not going to be more pa pandemic orders in the future. <laughs> That's her expectation anyways. And for the governor, you know, for Republicans, it became an increasingly untenable position to hold back federal funding when the governor has basically already agreed to end all pandemic restrictions. You know, it doesn't it, it didn't look great in the first place to, you know, condition one point five billion in child care funding on the governor giving up powers. Well, it definitely didn't wasn't going to look good if she had already, you know, ended the very orders that Republicans were protesting. Um, so, you know, I don't think this was a hard um, negotiation to, to get to this point. Uh, we'll see where it goes moving forward. Well, I think the three of them should take a bow because it certainly sent a message that it can be done. We didn't think, a lot of us, that uh, these three would eventually put aside their differences. I'm not sure there were apologies that were exchanged vis-a-vis -vis some of the comments that are made about the governor. The backstory is yet to be told, and that's one of the things we're going to work on after we get done here today. But first, let's bring in Saul Anuses and see if we can get some news out of Mr. Anuses back in Washington, D.C. Is that right, Saul? Yep. Uh New home on uh, Capitol Hill. Well, now that you have tremendous insight as to what's happening in Washington because you <laughs> live there, uh, was the election stolen, sir? Uh, no, I don't think the election was stolen. I think there were some irregularities. I think there was some frustration by volunteers and activists around the country. Uh, and obviously, there was a group of secretary of states and judges that took a lot of leeway with regards to what they could or couldn't do uh, with regards to what has traditionally been uh, state legislators purview. So, um, you know, in the end, I think the elections are, are panning out to show that, you know, yes, there were some irregularities. Yes, there was a minimal amount of fraud. Uh, and yes, there was a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, kind of freedom taken by secretary of states and judges that probably shouldn't happen. And that's one of the reasons so many legislatures are going back and, and trying to clear up and clarify exactly what role uh, each person has in this uh, electoral process. Did you hear the groan from all the Trump people out there when they heard you say, no, I don't think the election was stolen? 
<laughs> yeah, look, I think most Trump people understand that. I mean, there are some people who are very passionate about the fact that, you know, they were personally engaged in, in uh, situations such as the city of Detroit, where they were covering up windows. And we don't know what happened behind those windows. And I think it's it's things like that that caused a lot of problems and a lot of suspicions. But in the end, given the audits that are taking place across the country, given the recounts that are taking place across the country, I think it's fairly clear that there was minimal fraud, but a lot of irregularities. It doesn't mean it was necessarily fair, and it doesn't mean it necessarily doesn't mean that, you know, the Trump folks weren't uh, kind of had in many ways. But if you take a look at Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, and Georgia in specific, you know, secretary of states were sending out mail-in ballots to every citizen, every registered citizen in the state. Uh, that is not uh, legal. That is not traditional. Uh, that is normally the purview of the legislature to decide how those rules are done. And that's where there's a lot of frustration and it continues to be a lot of frustration. Lauren. Um, so, of course, uh, moving out of the 2020 election, there was a lot of passion. There was a lot of animosity. You know, what is what should the party be doing to um, really bring the bring the party back together, people on both sides of this issue um, to kind of a cohesive front uh, come 2022 elections? Well, I think you're seeing that, you know, if you take a look across the country and you look at Michigan in particular, I mean, you know, we've elected new leadership uh, in parties. Uh, we're bringing in candidates from across the country that are now running for, you know, congressional seats, Senate seats, gubernatorial seats, et cetera. Um, I think the party is coming together. You know, we've been going through growing pains. I've consistently said this is not unlike 1988, where we had the Robertson Christian Wright come into the Republican Party. And everybody thought there was some mini revolution going on. The party would never survive. And two or four years later, we became a stronger and, and a more effective state party. And I think the same thing is happening with these Trump voters. So many who are culturally conservative, traditionally nonpartisan voters who've come into the process and uh, they're learning how to participate. They're learning how to be part of the system. Uh, they'll continue to fight for the things they believe in. And I think the Republican Party will be a stronger party because of it. Jonathan? Uh, Saul, you said uh, you don't think the election is stolen and that maybe the divides in the party aren't as big as expected. But, I mean, uh, some people are now very high up who are winning those county party seats. Uh, the co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party, Michonne Maddock, they were involved uh, heavily in the Stop the Steal movement, claiming the election was rigged, uh, trying to put their own uh, electors uh, into the legislature. Um, you know, how, how do, how do traditional... What place do traditional Republicans who don't believe that still have in this party? Well, look, I think, first of all, everybody has a place in this party. I think we are going through a, a series of growing pains. And and uh, I've actually made a point of listening to uh, Michonne Maddox's uh, uh, weekly and sometimes even more often uh, um, uh, videos that she's doing, putting out as she's traveling around the state. And uh, I think if you take a look at even our last state committee meeting that that Ron Weiser and, and um, Sean Maddock, you know, uh, led here, uh, the parties, the party's united. The party wants to move forward. The party understands that there was issues. You have to understand when we talk about voter fraud and we talk about stealing this election, there was a number of different things. You, I think that what's happened, unfortunately, is we've combined what is traditionally voter fraud versus voter irregularities. I would submit to you that it was illegal for secretary of states and judges to unilaterally change the law of the land 
in five states and mail out absentee ballots to every single voter in the state. Um, now, does that mean it was stolen? No, but it was irregular. It wasn't what was supposed to happen. And that's why you see states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, even Michigan and others passing laws dealing with the rules and regulations as to how elections should be administered. This is one of the most important functions and one of the few functions that the Constitution actually gives state legislators in Article 2, Section 1 and Article 2, Section 4 both refer to the state legislature's plenary power to determine how elections are, 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 are run. And so that's the frustration that a lot of people talk about. And oftentimes, I think we loosely, with regards to how we discuss it, talk about fraud and stolen elections, when we really ought to be talking about irregularities, and in some cases, what was illegal, or at least, at, at, at the very least, uh, unorthodox ways of determining how these elections are, had been run. And that's why the changes are currently being made across the country. Mr. Stokes. Well, just to be clear, the courts in Michigan did rule that Jocelyn Benson did have the legal authority to mail out absentee ballot applications. Yeah, and, and, it was not illegal. Yeah, and so. just to be clear, the Constitution says she doesn't. So I, I would stand on the Constitution. Again, if you look at Article 2, Section 1 and Article 2, Section 4, very clearly they give the state legislature the right and power to determine how elections are run for electing a president of the United States. There is no power anywhere in the Constitution or legislatively anywhere in the law that says a secretary of state on their own can make a decision to say, we're going to give everybody absentee ballots. We're going to send out mail-out ballots to everybody in the state. That is a policy decision. She didn't decision. send out mail-out ballots. All she sent out applications. That's an administrative function where the law does not address an administrative function. Secretaries of state make administrative rules and administrative decisions all the time. You're, you're complaining. And there's an administrative process. And, and, and look, Jonathan, I, I'm not arguing. The judges, obviously, the courts rule that way, and this is why the state legislature should should re you know should uh, take a look at this and address it and say, is this something? Is this an administrative function? that a secretary can do unilaterally without talking to the legislature. And the court said it can. Okay, so we have a court ruling saying that they can. But I would argue, again, if you take a look across the country, um, this was not a normal action. This was not a, and this is where people are getting frustrated. You know, the, the secretary of state was doing things that are perceived to be in the Democrats' advantage. And that doesn't help us all get more comfortable with elections. We spend a tremendous amount of time talking about the rules and the process of how elections are run. We spend a tremendous amount of time trying to make them open, transparent, let people check ballots, let them have challengers on the Republican and the Democratic side. Making sure we have fair and honest elections is quintessential uh, to making sure our democracy works. And when you have these kinds of unilateral actions, it raises concerns with the American people. Mr. That's Stokes. all I'm saying. Mr. Stokes. So I know as former chair of the Michigan GOP, uh, you're watching everything that's happened here during COVID uh, with great interest. Two-part question. Uh, in just a few days, uh, Governor Whitmer is going to receive the Profiles and Courage Award from Caroline Kennedy. Does she deserve it? Well, you know, I mean, it, I think it took a lot of courage to take a private plane down to Florida when she told everybody not to fly and not to travel. Um, I think, um, you know, she she basically, I think, overstepped her bounds when, when she was passing all these regulatory issues that really put Michigan businesses behind the eight ball. I think, um, you know, it's very difficult to set a statewide policy in a state like Michigan when we have such diverse areas 
as outstate Michigan that is truly rural and 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 nowhere near the population centers of our urban areas and have a one policy fits all. So, you know, um, I think it's a political move. It's okay. It's part of the process, um, you know, but uh, I don't think that uh, she necessarily did anything tremendous in the state. And if you take a look at our numbers, um, you know, she surely can't claim that, you know, she was the the uh, beneficiary of, of uh, you know, putting, putting our state back in, in, in the position of being able to uh, open up here in the next uh, couple of days, and especially when you look at what's happened in states like Florida and others that long ago took a lot of these restrictions off the table. Second part of my question. Go ahead. Should, should, Liz, should, should Republican Cheney get it next year? Why and why not? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed the very front of that. Should Liz Cheney uh, get the Profiles and Courage Award next year? Why or why not? Um, I have no idea for why. Um, if if there's a reason to give it to her and someone wants to give it to her. She's done a lot of up in Washington, hasn't she? She stood up to her party. She stood up to the leaders, leadership of her party, and she lost her leadership position. A lot of people are think, believe that that took a tremendous amount of courage. Well, look, I think just because you're 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 a, a, a rebel in your party doesn't mean it's a courageous thing to do. I mean, I think she became a distraction by being off message. Uh, I think she became a liability to the House Republicans who have a very good chance of taking back the uh, House of Representatives. We only have to switch five seats on a net basis. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think she had any tremendous courage. She had a difference of opinion. Um, and for whatever reason, as a member of leadership, she decided to make that difference of opinion the focal point of her positions rather than, you know, kind of saying them and not making them a distraction. And I think the reason the House Republican caucus pushed her out was because she became a distraction and a liability. So if you had quick, been, you don't think it took courage to stand up to the former president, the, the without question, the most powerful leader of the Republican Party right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a very smart move on her part, but I mean, she felt it was important for her to express her opinion. She had every right to express her opinion, but the House Republican Caucus also had every right to say, look, you're off message. You're distracting from our efforts to take a majority. We want to get somebody who's going to be a team player. And I think that's all that happened in this process. Mr. News, stay tuned. We're going to do an overtime segment. we got more questions uh, to toss at you. But first, let's close credits and then go to WKAR.org for more of our conversation with the former GOP chair in Michigan, Solo News. See you on the other side. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at Michigan's Road to Top 10.com. For more off the record, visit WKAR.org. Michigan Public Television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.